We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Strike and Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other side of the speaker. And first, I got to lead off with a little bit of an apology. Not a big apology, a little apology, um, just based on sheer inconvenience. Y'all have probably caught on to the fact that during the offseason, I have been recording episodes on Thursdays and they've been published on Fridays. Uh, but for some reason, uh, behind the curtains, behind the scenes, we had an issue with the, uh, we don't know why the episode wasn't published when we told it to publish and it didn't end up getting out there until I think like Sunday at some point Sunday, uh, I, I recorded that thing on Thursday. It was supposed to come out last Friday. It came out on Sunday and I'm not trying, we're not trying to release episodes on Sundays around here. I mean, maybe it came out later in the day Sunday and it worked out to where most of you guys got to listen to it on Monday. I'm not sure. Um, we're, we're, we're always trying to publish episodes on the weekdays so y'all can listen to them on your morning commutes or whenever you do your thing on the way home where, where, you know, whatever you do. Uh, so that was just a little weird. That was definitely not the intent. I'm sure if you listen to the episode, you can tell by the way I'm talking about things and the things I say, I'm saying that it definitely wasn't recorded on a Sunday. Um, because I believe in that episode, I talked about going to Disneyland, which I did which was awesome. And Disneyland's awesome for many reasons. Uh, not because of the cost. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that, that just can't afford to go to Disneyland. And, and I, that would obviously be 100% understandable. Every family's in a different financial situation. Um, and it's pretty damn expensive now. One thing we did notice, obviously the talk of the world over the last six months, whatever it is, is inflation and how rapidly the cost of everything is going up. Gas, food, Whatever you, whatever, take your pick, the cost is going up. But one thing we noticed while at Disneyland, and one thing we used to talk about when we were at Disneyland was how expensive all the food was. And if any of you have been to Disneyland, the food at Disneyland in any given spot, it's usually pretty decent. It's, it's solid, but it's never cheap. 
But this last time we were there, given the inflation and the fact that maybe Disneyland hasn't increased their food prices as quickly as the rest of the world, everything all of a sudden seemed reasonable. It was like we had the the the, the chicken, big old chicken dinner, which is like my favorite spot. The carnation, it's right in just to the right of the big opening in the middle of the big circle. And I believe, you know, you got three huge pieces of chicken, um, mashed potatoes, green beans, and a biscuit for like $16.99, at most, maybe $16.99, which is if you've been to a restaurant lately, any type of, even like a freaking Chili's or something, that's really like not expensive anymore. And I was just, we were talking, we are like, man, it's almost like Disneyland has not kept up with inflation. And I'm sure their ticket prices would beg to differ, you know, in terms of getting in the park. But in terms of buying your food and eating it, it actually became reasonable over time because the cost of everything outside of Disneyland increased faster than the Disneyland itself. So I thought that was interesting. Um, plenty of good food in Disneyland. Jesus, you know, the churros, unmatched, unrivaled. The uh, Dole Whip, you can either get go straight uh, soft serve or you can go with the float, the Dole Whip ice cream float inside of pineapple. Um it's I just that's like part of the such a massive reason I love Disneyland is just the food and being able to get a churro every you know three or four hours. But one of the other great things that I've added to my list of reasons to like Disneyland is I got engaged. I uh, there's a whole story behind this. I guess I'll give it to you guys. I'll try and expedite it because y'all are here to talk 49ers, not to listen to my uh, my personal life. So. Uh, we've had the ring uh, for a while and I was just kind of waiting for at least a a semi-special opportunity to propose. We've been together a long time. It was obviously just something that needed to happen. Obviously still very happy, you know, we're happy to get engaged, but it was kind of just the next step in the obvious little puzzle. So I realized that Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, might present some good opportunities to propose. So I took this very expensive wedding ring to Disneyland, burning a hole in my pocket, me doing my absolute best to guard it, you know, like a holy grail. The The plan that I came up with, because she is a massive Minnie Mouse fan. We have like 18 dozen coffee cups, all with different Minnie Mouse poses on them. So I was like, all right, well, I'll wait where the characters come out. You can look on the app when the characters are going to come out. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll propose in front of Minnie Mouse. And Minnie Mouse can be behind us, like all surprised and shocked. Outcomes, we waited for about half an hour until the characters just start coming out. They start coming out around five in the evening. Out comes Minnie Mouse. My little sister scampers up there to, you know, get us in the spot in line to to, to wait to be introduced to Minnie Mouse, I guess you could say. We're about like two people from Minnie Mouse. Like we've waited in a little bit of a line, not much, you know, 10 minutes, not even, not even that. We're like the next person up. And my little sister who'd kind of positioned herself to video the whole thing, I think mentioned to a Disney employee, oh, my, my brother's about to propose to his girlfriend. And the Disney employee was like, nope, don't do it. Tell him not to, can't do it. Not allowed. Minnie will just walk away. We do not allow that. So like, all this has built up. All this planning's been done to get to this moment, to not give it away to her, to, you know, uh, the whole family's there. We were with my side of the family. Everybody's there waiting for this moment to see it happen. And then literally when I'm about to step forward and, and be in front of Minnie, 
the they're like, no, don't do it. it, it it's not allowed. You can't have it. Like she, she didn't say it like too, you know, loud, but she kind of like made sure I heard it. Like, nope, don't do it. Not allowed. And it, so, I, and what was funny is my girlfriend's trying to figure out why everybody's acting like somebody died all of a sudden. Like, so we took pictures with Minnie and then we kind of just walk away and everybody's just like silent and bummed. Everybody knew what was going to happen, but her, but her, but she kind of picked up on it and we didn't end up talking about it all. She kind of asked me what was wrong and you know, you're acting funny, blah, blah, blah. So it just got torpedoed in that moment. Boom. My, my, my plan. Number one, just completely destroyed, blown up at the 99th percentile, getting ready to complete it. So we had to think, I had to think on my feet. We're kind of walking around, you know, my mom, my dad kind of coming up to me in silent, you know, in secret saying, you know, what's the plan now? What are we going to do? We got to find a way to make this happy. Well, we got off Pirates of the Caribbean, the unquestionable number one ride at Disneyland, Pirates of the Caribbean. We get off and um, we walk by the little caricature artist that's right in that little New Orleans alleyway right there. And my dad, me and my dad are both art teachers. So art's always been a huge part of our life. My dad's like, why don't you have him do a picture of the two of you and write, will you marry me on it? And I'm like, damn, that's a good idea. So we kind of walk off and do our thing. I go over there later and it's about 8 p.m. And I said, hey, can you squeeze this in sometime this evening to get this picture done? And will you write this for it? And he's like, yes, I'll do all of that. But I'm booked for the rest of the evening all the way up until closing. So if you want to still try and do this, you're going to have to come by later this evening to see if uh, somebody didn't show up and the spots open up. So a couple hours go by, 10 o'clock. He told me to come by at 10 o'clock. I go by at 10 o'clock. He's like, yes, it, things opened up. I can do it. You've got to give me all the way till like 12, 15 though. Got to give me till 12, 15. And I'm like, damn, I've got to keep my family here until midnight. I I like to stay pretty close to midnight. Mom and dad usually leave earlier than that. Um, you know, my little sister and her birth boyfriend, they'll go their separate ways. And so, but I'm keeping everybody here. Mom, dad, sister, everybody knows what's going on. Katie doesn't know what's going on. She's starting to get tired, a little impatient. Finally, I just say, Hey, I have the artist make us a picture. We have to stay for it. And that's all I said. And so she kind of gets on board and my mom's not feeling good. She's tired. She like, it's just, <laughs> I feel like I'm just dragging this on. It's not really my choice, but finally 12 about 12 10 comes my little sister goes and checks she texts me it's ready i go there um we walk up to the artist's uh little podium whatever you want to call it the easel and she sees the picture and i was like oh you got to read it and then while she's reading it i took a knee right next to her pulled out the wedding ring and you know asked if she would marry me and she said yes and so now i am engaged um, so I can, you know, j graciously accept all of the congratulations and the applause that are happening on the other side of the speaker right now. And I appreciate those. Not really a big me guy. Don't really talk about, you know, my personal life very often, but you know, I figured that was, that's a big deal. And maybe you guys should know about it. It's a cool story. Now we have an actual picture. I might post the picture on Twitter at some point. Uh, like I said, it's just not, you know, Personal life, Niners don't always intersect, but you know it's a big life event. And now we have this this beautiful piece of artwork um, that he did say he had to rush a little bit because obviously he had to finish it by twelve fifteen. It was all riding on him, um, but it still came out awesome. It looks great, and it says, you know, will you marry me on it? And everything went great. I've got a video. I've got a picture of the artworks here, you know, and it kind of worked out. You know, a picture of me proposing in front of Minnie would have been cool. Still, would have been very special. 
Um, but now it's cool that we have also have, you know, pictures of me proposing period, but also this artwork to go along with it. So that was my weekend. Um, it, you know, I'm, I'm very happy, eager to move on. Uh, my, my full name's Robert Newton Louder the fifth. I got to start having kids, uh, ideally a boy to keep this thing going. So we're, we're just moving right along. We're moving right along, but still very, very happy for that to happen. And, um, hopefully you enjoyed that story. That's 10 minutes. Let's get rolling. 49ers. No, we're not even waiting for a transition or any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of clever way of bringing this from one topic to the other. We're just rolling. Uh, we're back in the Jimmy Garoppolo saga again. I don't know why. Whatever. If, if As long as Jimmy Garoppolo's on the 49ers, we're going to be forced to talk about it. That's just the way it is. Uh, Ian Rappaport of NFL fired off a little you know video, video interview this week talking about Jimmy Garoppolo being fully cleared mid-August, which is it, it kind of perked a lot of ears. Mid-August, we've we've already been under the impression he's been throwing. It was always reported that he was expected to be good to go around you know end of June, mid-July, somewhere in there. A couple weeks ago, Matt Barrows reported that he's been throwing for weeks. And then all of a sudden, Ian Rappaport comes along and says, well, he's not going to be fully cleared until mid-August. And then realizing there was kind of some confusion around it, Rapsheet kind of added some clarification. He said he's been throwing for weeks, but he'll be 100% capable of full practice and game-type action by mid-August. And uh, uh, John Middlecoff quote-tweeted Ian Rappaport saying, Jimmy went from throwing on the 4th of July to getting cleared by mid-August real fast. Hashtag not ideal. Ian Rappaport replied to that and said he has been throwing for about four weeks now. And then Middlecoff replied to that saying, but he's about a month away from being able to practice for the Niners or someone else, correct? And Rapsheet replied to that saying, a little less, but yet. So that kind, I mean, that kind of changes things. I don't know how other teams are going to feel about that, but every every we've all been led to believe that Jimmy Garoppolo has been throwing for weeks and it was essentially ready to roll. Now all of a sudden it's no, he's not ready to roll till mid-August. And there is a huge difference between mid-July and mid-August when it comes to the NFL because as most of you know, we are about a less than a week from less than a week from training camp starting. Uh, it's going to start next week at some point. Not at some point, 26, I believe, players are reporting. So being ready mid-July means you're ready for the start of training camp. Being ready mid-August means you've missed at least half of training camp and you're coming in right around the beginning of preseason. So that's a huge deal when it comes to a quarterback being you know, a possibly traded for and coming into your building, learning a playbook, and getting a whole training camp to become acclimated with you know, the team, the players, the playbook, the coaches, everything. Now, apparently, that's not the case. And then, like we said, John Middlecoff got a little bit of clarification there. He rap sheet doesn't expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be ready to be like a full participant in all aspects of practice until mid-August. Then the following day, Adam Schefter tweets, the 49ers have officially been given Jimmy Garoppolo's agents, Don Yee and Carter Chow, permission to seek a trade, sources say. Garoppolo has been cleared to start practicing per team source. 49ers still are expected to exercise caution with him this summer. So, I mean, there's a little bit more to break down there. One, 
Jimmy Garoppolo's agents, Don Yee and Carter Chow, permission to seek a trade. The 49ers have given Jimmy Garoppolo permission to seek a trade since this last offseason, since they drafted Trey Lance, since they knew they were drafting Trey Lance or a quarterback. John Lynch, I think, said in March that Jimmy Garoppolo and his agents, they've all been, and the 49ers have all been working together to find a trade partner to make something work. And even was asked, have you given have them permission to seek a trade? And John Lynch said yes. So I don't really understand why that report was was put out again. Old news, I guess. I mean, maybe it's to just hopefully get some sort of ball rolling on a trade market now that Garoppolo is throwing the football. And then you've obviously got the second part. Garoppolo has been cleared to start practicing. Now, I don't know. That, to me, the wording works against what Ian Rappaport was saying. Garoppolo's been throwing, but he won't be capable of taking on a full practice load until mid-August. But then Adam Schefter says he's been cleared to start practicing per team source. So maybe, you know, and and in Rap Sheet's clarification, he did say he's not going to be fully ready to roll until mid-August. That doesn't necessarily contradict him being cleared to start practicing now, as Schefter tweeted. So, I mean, this is just a, a weird dance of information that just seems a little weird. It could very well be the case that Jimmy Garoppolo has been cleared to practice, but just like any other injury that happens to any other player, they're expected to ease him along, which Adam Schefter did say 49ers are expected to be cautious and and, and with him this summer. So it's like, okay, he's cleared to practice, but they're going to be cautious with him. They're going to ease him back, whatever that means, and he won't be fully ready to play until mid-August. So I guess it all kind of wraps in together it was just all worded differently to create a different impression what it seems like is jimmy garoppolo's camp giving ian Rappaport some information that would kind of dampen interest around the league in trading for jimmy garoppolo just i'm just putting this together with my own thoughts Finding out that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be fully cleared until mid-August seems like that would really put a stomp to any interest teams had around the league in regards to possibly getting Jimmy Garoppolo in the building and being allow him, allowing him to work on his chemistry with the team and learn the playbook throughout training camp. So, you know, because you're not getting him until mid-August. At least you're not getting 100% of him until mid-August. Now, you could still get him in the building and give him a playbook and have him start learning. But it's much easier to stomach mid-July than it is mid-August. And then, so let me not, let me not move on too quickly. I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo's agents almost want to be able to look at, look to the 49ers and say, look, there is no trade market. Let's go ahead and release Jimmy Garoppolo so that he can talk to teams, travel to teams, throw for teams, and choose his own destination. Whereas the Schefter's tweet seems like it's much more favorable towards what the 49ers would want people to know in the fact that they've given him permission to seek a trade, call him up, and he's been cleared to start practicing. He can practice for you right now. One of them 
would slow down trade talks. One of them seems like it would give it a little bit of fire. Maybe I'm misreading that. But again, it's Twitter and they're just tweets. I'm assuming that what goes on behind and within NFL front offices doesn't really correlate with the tweets. You know, they're they're doing their due diligence. They're asking for when he can take a physical. They're asking to see Garoppolo throw. You know, all those things. I, I don't know if there's, I'm sure there are rules preventing, you know, workouts for other teams while you're still on a team. You know, there's, there's definitely some, some, some sturridge going on there, but it's just all over the place. It's all over the place. So, I mean, it seems like the 49ers very much want this to be Trey Lance's team. We've seen the random reports of, you know, this is Trey Lance's team. He is our quarterback. Got it. 49ers want this to be Lance's team. We all know that. It's the next logical step in the business that is the NFL. But they still want to be compensated for Jimmy Garoppolo. And you've got that clear back and forth. And it, and it does seem like Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers want two different things. My guess is Jimmy Garoppolo and his camp would prefer to be released so that he can choose a destination. And maybe they build up a little bit of a, a free agency market for himself. The 49ers obviously would prefer to get some trade compensation for what they believe is a talented, valuable quarterback. Now, my question is, I, again, I'm just assuming that Jimmy Garoppolo's camp would rather him be released. But to me, I almost feel like Jimmy Garoppolo should rather be traded because a trade at least starts with Jimmy Garoppolo's current $25 million contract. He can easily rework a deal as part of the trade with the team he's being traded to, but the starting point is what he's making now. If he's released and he becomes a free agent, the starting point is wherever the teams want to offer and obviously bounce back and forth. And if there's more than one team bidding, then you can build up a little bit of a bidding war. But there's no way it's getting up to $25 million. Again, teams could rework that contract, but Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo's leverage as far as how much he gets in a trade seem much stronger with that $25 million contract in his back pocket than he does than it does if he were just a free agent. So it seems like the money is in a trade, but where it gets murky is the timing. I think the 49ers, if if they get the impression that Don Yee and Jimmy Garoppolo want to play hardball, I feel like the 49ers would say, okay, we were we are prepared to do right by you. But if you're going to treat it like this, which right by you, which could include cutting him, by the way. But if you're going to play it like this, then we're going to play it like this. Because the 49ers, they can they can wait this out. As of right now, the the Browns apparently aren't interested. Deshaun Watson's suspension doesn't look like it's going to be as long as, as it was initially reported. The Falcons are rumored to be interested. It's all quiet for the Texans, who are probably cool with Davis Mills. 
Seahawks would probably wait till he gets cut no matter what. Uh, a Giants rumor popped up today saying the Giants could be looking to take a look at him. But there's no current market for Jimmy Garoppolo. Just these random little rumors, nothing imminent, no reports that people are, you know, in, t- in discussion. So the 49 knowing that the 49ers may be prepared to wait this out and they you know again they believe that i mean they have Jimmy Garoppolo who's run a lot of football games now that's like winning on a group project it doesn't necessarily mean you put in all the work but they believe they have a good quarterback on their hands which they do he's a good quarterback he's not incredible he's not elite he's maybe a top 15 quarterback and i'm saying he might be 15 Maybe less. But they believe that they shouldn't just give him out for free. They shouldn't just release him and say, here you go. He also has to pass a physical, by the way, which he hasn't done yet, I believe. But they, the 49ers can hold on to Jimmy Garoppolo until preseason. They can. They can hold on to Jimmy Garoppolo through all of preseason. And then if they still do not find any trade partner, release him before the regular season starts and his contract becomes guaranteed. And you have squashed any chance of Jimmy Garoppolo signing with a team, building up that comfortable that that comfort with the offense, with the playbook, and with the team. I mean, that is that's true hardball. Or if they really wanted to get crazy, they could keep him as their backup. Now, I'm sure Jimmy Garoppolo would be thrilled with that. You mean I get paid twenty five million dollars and I don't even have to start? I don't even have to play. Now he probably wants to play. He's a football player, but. That's be that's way, way over the fence, you know, keeping Jimmy Garoppolo for that amount of money. But there's, you know, there's a there's a real chance the 49ers are prepared to drag this out through all of preseason just to see if somebody else gets injured. And there you got yourself a deal. I can't remember the the Vikings quarterback that happened to Sam Bradford. The dude that always looks like he's terrified to look at the camera. Now, again, there's so much there's so much publicity associated with that. Jimmy Garoppolo and the fact that he's still on the 49ers would continue to be a storyline the entire offseason. Which just is exhausting. Like, God, I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I don't want to be asked about this in press conferences anymore. It would be exhausting. Do they let Jimmy Garoppolo play in the preseason? You would think not. If he gets injured, bam, there's his money. So, you know, and there's some risk there, but at the same time, if he's playing in the preseason, let's say he plays pretty well, you get to put him out there against second string offenses and he plays well. And all of a sudden another team's like, Hey man, he's throwing, he's slinging the ball pretty well. We should give the 49ers a call. But even then, you're still talking about trotting Jimmy Garoppolo out there at huge risk. And to me, this all comes down to, for what? Like, what do we think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be traded for? Does anybody even think they're going to get a third-round pick for him? I don't. I think it'll be somewhere day three. Best-case scenario, fourth-rounder, I'd happily be wrong in that. I don't care. But all of this just to get... Even if it's a third rounder in the best of circumstances, which is the best they could do in terms of a compensatory draft pick, like all of this just to get that, like, eh, that's a lot, man. That's a lot. 
49ers are pretty good at picking third rounders, but it's it's just man, this is it's just so much drama. But again, I say it's so much drama because I'm exhausted because I have to talk about it. But does this back and forth even matter? It's all social media. It's all podcast. Do you think the teams are talking about it this much? I highly doubt it. You know, like Dave Chappelle said, I, I heard they drug me on social media, but I don't give a shit because Twitter's not a real place. You know, I know I've said that before, but it's like, do NFL teams even care that this is being talked about on Twitter? You would sure as hell hope not. Social media doesn't doesn't make your decisions. Fans don't run my ball club. Yeah, maybe I can teach one of them. Name that movie. Anyways. It's at well, there will be a point, I think relatively soon, where this will all be over. We don't have to talk about it anymore. But for now, it is one persistent son of a bee. Speaking of social media, transition time. Kyler Murray pitched a huge hissy fit on social media and then got paid. And then got paid. I gotta go find his contract. What did he get paid? It's gotta be on here somewhere. I was uh I was on Guy Haberman's tweet because I wanted to read that guy. Read that to you guys. But let me let me see. I know he got paid like 40 plus million a year, which man, like a $46 million annual salary is almost the same as the Athletics 2022 payroll. <laughs> That's just the first headline I clicked on. Kyler Murray's $46 million annual salary is almost the same as the Oakland Athletics 2022 payroll. Damn. Damn. $230 million deal is now the, among NFL's richest quarterback source says. <sighs> Question to all of you out there. Do you guys think Kyler Murray is worth $46 million a year? Now, don't get me wrong. They 100% had to pay Kyler Murray. And there are moments where Kyler Murray is electric. There's also moments where Kyler Murray is... What's the... What's the word I'm looking for here? I mean, he melted in the playoffs, just collapsed. Looked like he didn't even want to be there anymore. You know, and and, and all that stuff matters. It it really does. It it matters. Now, again, the Cardinals, what, are you going to not pay him and just enter into the quarterback foray again after you're letting go of your number one pick that was kind of chosen to, you know, pair with Cliff Kingsbury? I, I don't know. But it's just something about that contract and Kyler Murray making that amount of money, which is, again, it was the ne- the logical next step. That's how contracts work. At some point, I think Jimmy Garoppolo was, was among the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. He That contract will be outclassed quickly. That's just how it works. But it, it just seems like I got to think the 49ers aren't that bummed that the Cardinals paid Kyler Murray that amount of money. You know, it's it's just Kyler Murray's been inconsistent. He has struggled with injury a little bit. And Guy Haberman tweeted out week eight and later. So the back half of the season, the Cardinals are seven and 18 with Kyler starting. 
you know, and, and winning is, is not solely a quarterback stat, but it's also, uh, you know, it matters. And I would be willing to bet the Jimmy Garoppolo's week eight and later stats are pretty damn good because the 49ers, you know, we've seen them go on runs. Now, obviously, you got to take that with a grain of salt, given his injuries and what the 49ers have gone through to, to move on from of Jimmy Garoppolo. But I don't know, man. It's just, I just, I don't think anybody is kicking themselves that the Cardinals locked up Kyler Murray. $46 million a year like that is intense. And thankfully, the salary cap is going up. You know, those types of NFL teams have room for those types of contracts now. But, you know, and I, I can say the 49ers might be excited about the fact that the, the, the Cardinals just sacrificed $46 million a year towards Kyler Murray. But they've got their own contracts to work out. You know, they've got their own contracts coming down the pipeline that – are going to be just expensive. Now, at the same time, they're going to go to players like Nick Bosa, who 31 other teams would just back up the Brinks truck for. So the 49ers are, are definitely excited to pay Nick Bosa, that's for sure. But speaking of Nick Bosa, we're continuing our, our, our training camp roster breakdown. Again, transitions, eh, don't need them. Next up, we've, we've finished with the offense. On the last pod, we had tight ends and offensive lines. We had uh, wide receivers before that, running backs before that, and obviously we had quarter, more quarterback talk. And now we're on the defense, and you have to start on the defensive line. That's where the 49ers want you to start. That's where they want you to look. Not that the 49ers are shorthanded at other levels of the defense. They're not at all. But it all starts with that defensive line. Let's Let's not get it twisted. This is the best position group on the team. I mean, you just start rolling through the names. Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, Samson Abukam, Kevin Givens, who, you know, started to do his thing there. Maurice Hurst, Kerry Hyder, Drake Jackson, their second-round pick this year. Charles Omenahu, Kamiko Torre, Jordan Willis, Javon Kinlaw. You know, not necessarily just a, a massive group of star-studded names, but a bunch of dudes who have proven that they can do the damn thing in the NFL. And to me, that's what it's always been about with this modern NFL defensive line is that you got to be able to, you know, throw waves at offenses, waves and waves of effective pass rushers. And it's clear that that's what the 49ers are, are, are trying to do. And that's what they've always wanted to do. Now, leading the pack, obviously, uh, the most prominent defensive lineman on the 49ers is Nick Bosa. You've, you're getting a healthy third year coming off an offseason that didn't involve ACL recovery, Nick Bosa. I mean, I am expecting a massive year from this man. Massive year. I, I fully am prepared for him to 100% be in the picture for defensive MVP. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. With the way Eric Armstead played along the interior last year, I'm assuming they're going to give him the opportunity to start the year off there because he was so damn good there. It's really going to take a lot of heat off of Nick Bosa. And and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't now that I say that out loud because there's you're not fooling anybody as far as Nick Bosa goes. They know what they need to invest to get. I mean, one of, you know, he's a top three pass rusher in the NFL now. So no one's not paying attention to Nick Bosa, but you've got to do something about Eric Armstead because he was playing at a level that made him a top 10 defensive lineman last year. And those are kind of your two stalwarts of the defensive front. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, one, two. Kind of, you know, if you will allow me to indulge myself, a Justin Smith, Alden Smith combination there. And, and you know, now that I say that out loud, I, I don't think that they're that far off. At the, You know, Justin Smith was... A different breed. Uh, there really was no one like Justin Smith. Aaron Rodgers said himself, probably the greatest player he ever watched on film. And then that season with with Alden Smith, where he was pushing for the record, probably one of the best duos we've seen in a season ever. You know, those two were the, the, the quality of play you got from those two guys was unmatched. Well, I think that Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa present the same type of a threat for a defense. And uh, I think that those two are going to do some pretty crazy things this year. I'm not trying to just throw the hyperbole out like, you know, like candy on Halloween, but I really do think those two are among the elite defensive linemen pass rusher pairings in the NFL. And the just those two give the 49ers real hope to uh, to wreck shop throughout the season. You know, I, what was weird is 
you know, the 49ers moved Eric Armstead to the interior, you know, out of necessity. You had you had uh, Javon Kinlaw's injury last year that took him out for the season. You know, DeForest Buckner was no longer on the team. They couldn't allow themselves to just get beat up along the interior of the offensive line, so they put Eric Armstead next to DJ Jones instead of go do the damn thing. And it really unlocked what Eric Armstead was capable of doing. It was a position he was much more comfortable with, much closer to what he played at Oregon. And he just had an incredible season and established himself as just an elite defensive lineman. Now, he had already been doing that, but this last season really was like, damn. I mean, this guy is really, really good. And what's crazy is he made it to where the 49ers, and I'm going to – preface this by saying I am a massive DeForest Buckner guy, massive DeForest Buckner guy. He was my, probably my all time most favorite draft crush, but the way Eric Armstead played in the interior last season softened that blow a lot. You know, he had 37 tackles, 18 assisted, seven sacks and a whole lot of pressures and a whole lot of run stops. And the way he played really made them made them miss DeForest Buckner less. Now, again, if DeForest Buckner somehow managed to stay on the team and was part of this equation, he would be <laughs> doing DeForest Buckner things. But Eric Armstead's emergence in that spot really helped that defensive line continue to fire on all cylinders despite letting go of an, an all-pro player. So it's just crazy to me that what was like an adaptation for that defensive line to try and make up for the absence and injuries really unlocked Armstead's potential. And then behind him, you've got Samson Ebicam, who the 49ers signed in free agency uh, coming off the Rams. He kind of like seemed like he was you know struggling to get going, but the back half of last season, I think, I think he ended up with 10 sacks and seven of them were in the back half of the season, something along the lines of that. And he, I mean, he was, he just seemed like he became a force. And I don't know what it, if it was something with him as a player or with something with the way the 49ers defensive coaches started using him, but he presented some real promise there at the end of the season. So that's another player who you can expect to kind of, I guess, hear his name read consistently throughout the year. And, and that's just what I'm expecting. You've also got Charles Omenahu, who the 49ers traded from the Texans, I believe. And late in the season, he started to pop up a little bit. So you're starting to see this, this quality depth being built up. Now, obviously, I can't get too far down this list without talking about um, Javon Kinlaw. That was a long pause. I'm sorry. Javon, I was just scanning through my notes. There's a lot of pressure on Javon Kinlaw this year. And he – and uh, given what happened this offseason, you can kind of see that pressure manifesting itself in, in how Javon Kinlaw carries himself. I'm sure in his mind he thinks he was brought in here to replace DeForest Buckner, who, I mean, I, I don't really think of it that way. He doesn't – Javon Kinlaw does not have to replace DeForest Buckner. He doesn't have to be the 49ers DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner outperformed his draft spot. He outperformed the odds. I know he was a seventh overall pick, Buckner. But high round, high first round draft picks don't work out all the time. You certainly aren't necessarily expecting them to become an all pro that just plays thousands of snaps and just a, uh, you know, a, a pillar of defensive performance. You know, like 
DeForest Buckner outperformed his draft spot. Javon Kinlaw, you know, who was taken seven spots later in his in his year, they don't need him to replace DeForest Buckner. They just need him to play well and stay healthy. If if you've got a defensive front with a hot Nick Bosa, a hot Eric Armstead, a Javon Kinlaw that can fill in really anywhere along that defensive line, whether he's outside or inside. Then you're rotating in Samson Ebukam and Charles Omenahu. And then you've got second-round rookie Drake Jackson, who a lot of people have said, you know, was, was, was kind of a steal where they got him. Now, the best thing about that pick for me was going into that draft, everybody talked about it was a deep edge rushing class. Now, the 49ers didn't have a first-round pick, traded away for Trey Lance. I always felt like the best way to maximize the value of that second-round pick is to pick a player from a deep position class, which was edge rusher, and they went edge rusher, and that made it, you know, whenever you got a deep class, you're getting what could be first-round talent in another draft where the edge class isn't as deep. So the 49ers went edge, got Drake Jackson, Seems like it's going to be a great first-round pick, or excuse me, second-round pick that could perform like a first-round player. And then he's going to get to learn from the likes of Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Samson. All these guys that have proven that they can do it in the league are immediately going to absorb this guy. And we'll see how much Drake Jackson contributes this year. He's got a lot of talent to push out of the way. But again, maybe that's not going to matter in the way the 49ers want to employ these defensive linemen. So... I'm excited for him. I mean, I'm, I'm still not even done. You know, you've got the 49ers added Kerry Hyder, who the, his best year as a pro, he's been in the league one, two, three, four, five, six years. His best year was far and away with the 49ers. Eight and a half sacks, 49 combined tackles, 10 tackles for loss, 18 quarterback hits. Now, went over to Seattle, didn't do nearly as well. One and a half sacks. You know, 11 quarterback hits compared to his 18 with the 49ers. Three tackles for loss carried compared to 10 with the 49ers. Now, I don't, and, and what's, what was cool about Kerry Hyder's performance there is he did that in lieu of Nick Bosa's absence after he was recovering from a torn ACL. So it wasn't like Nick Bosa was taking a bunch of pressure off Kerry Hyder, which allowed him to do his thing. So I'm wondering what about the 49ers allowed Kerry Hyder to light it up? And can they bring that out of him again? My best guess is defensive lineman Chris Kosarek, who is is well-renowned as one of the best defensive coaches in the NFL. Maybe he you know, connected with Kerry Hyder and was able to use him in a way that best brought out his skill set, something the Seattle Seahawks weren't able to replicate, the Detroit Lions weren't able to replicate. Well, he did have that one season. Excuse me, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. 2016, um, Hyder had eight sacks and 19 quarterback hits. So it was a very similar, very similar – similar season than what he had in San Francisco, just not quite as good. So you've got Kerry Hyder coming in, who I would say is not even a lock to make the roster. He was only signed to a one-year deal, but given what the 49ers were able to get out of him last time, I would think they would see him as quality, quality depth, somebody that they can throw in there at any second and not feel like there's a massive drop-off at the position. Say if, if I don't even want to say it out loud, say if somebody were to get hurt, Kerry Hyder's a good replacement. That's what I'm saying for Kerry Hyder. So, you know, maybe that's a Chris Kosarek thing. If they're going to get that Kerry Hyder again, then, I mean, you're talking about another 
nearly 10 sack players just chilling on a defensive line with all kinds of these these dudes that are all ready to be 10 sack players. I mean, I don't know if you're necessarily going to get that out of Drake Jackson in his first year or if you're going to get that out of Charles Amenahu. Charles Amenahu has been talking a lot of smack on social media in a good way about what he's going to do this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing him come up, coming up with that. So, I mean, you've got obviously you've got other players on the defensive roster. You know, the D Ford is technically still on the team. I, I expect him to be cut at any moment. You've got Kevin Givens, who has had real flashes of being very solid. And they brought him and Maurice Hurst back on one-year deals. Two guys that, I mean, again, if, if they're healthy, you're talking about guys that could step in for a Javon Kinlaw, for an Eric Armstead, and make a play on fresh legs. And the 49ers don't have to feel like, damn. You know, what happened here? You got Kylea Davis out of Central Florida, one of the 49ers rookies, 6'2", 310 pounds, a guy they're really hoping can be like DJ Jones, who got paid. Um, there's, you know, one person I haven't even mentioned yet is Kimoko, Kimoko Torre. Kimoko Torre. Torre, Torre, Torre. I think it'd be more Torre. I mean, he's more of a legit pass rusher, edge rusher, 6'5", 253 pounds. You know, never really caught fire in Indianapolis. Um, may have battled with some injuries, you know, in 2019. Only played in four games, 2020, seven games. But um, in 2021, he had 13 games, which is, a you know, it's a good season. Five and a half sacks, eight quarterback hits. So that just seems like somebody the 49ers would bring in like a Kerry Hyder in 2021, uh, excuse me, 2020. And all of a sudden have a player with, eight to 10 sacks that, you know, you just didn't expect much from. So there's a lot of depth there. And really kind of what, what is obvious to me is some good players are going to be cut for show. Other teams are going to be like, yeah, I'm getting that for show. Name that movie. The, there is a good chance that a quality defensive lineman could be cut. I mean, let's see. Let's just roll through this. I'm going to do this live in real time. Let's start with the guarantees. We've got Eric Armstead. That's one. We've got Nick Bosa. That's two. I'm going to go Samson and becomes a guarantee. I guess he technically isn't. That's three. Um, Drake Jackson. That's four. Let's go Charles Amenahue. That's five. Kamoko Torre, you've got Jordan Willis, who was the savior of the playoffs. Javon Kinlaw, that's six. Kimo, let's go Kamoko Torre. Let's let's throw him in there. That's seven. And then you've got about eight or nine, or excuse me, six or seven. Kevin Givens, Maurice Hurst, Kylia Davis, who's a brand new rookie. I you know he's got to be pretty much a lock. There is going to be some 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 players at the back end of this depth chart that are going to be competing for a roster spot that could very easily make groups on other teams. And that's when you have other teams that have professional scouting departments that have to spot a position group like this on the 49ers saying, hey, keep an eye on this group. There's going to be some quality players. Maybe there's an opportunity for a cheap trade there. We can send them the player they want. We can get a, a solid defensive lineman that can be part of our rotation. There's a lot to like there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen defensive linemen. Usually the forty I mean, those are including kind of the pass rushers. But usually the 49ers keep ten. I think that's a lot. 
So, man, like, there's going to be some serious action at that position group, and and it's going to get hot. There, again, I don't think a trade, you know, they the 49ers might have, maybe they think there's very little disparity between the guy that's ninth or eighth on their depth chart and the guy that's 10th on their depth chart. So like, hey, let's see what we can get for this eighth player. Shift everybody up one, and then we can improve at another position, you know, so it would not surprise me at all if there was some, uh, there was definitely some trades, some quality players getting cut. That that group is just, I expect them to be very, very good. I don't know where they're going to compare to the that defensive line groups of the past, you know, when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl, but it's good. It's real good. Anything less than great for that group would be un- underperformance. We'll see. Can they can they work their way into a top five unit, a top three unit? You know, based on the way they play, we'll see. But I mean, that's my expectation for them. My biggest magnifying glass, my biggest spotlight is on Javon Kinlaw. You're talking about the guy that can be an absolutely phenomenal player coming on a year that he really needs to come on. If he wants to start thinking about that next contract, whether it's for the 49ers or another team, this is his year to start playing like that. Um, And he's certainly, if you've seen him in person, Jesus, certainly capable of doing that. But all right, so that is your defensive line. I may switch it up and jump on here a little bit earlier next week so that we can get one more episode in before players start reporting for training camp. We've still got a few positions to get through. We'll still keep breaking those position downs, positions down even after the start of training camp, um, but I'm glad that we'll be through most of them before camp starts. Um, next episode, we'll probably get into the linebackers, probably have time to get into corners too, um, or maybe, yeah, you know, maybe we'll be able to finish it off. You've got linebackers corners and safety i feel like we might be able to get through that group those groups in a single episode but i don't want to rush in i want to give each group their due and i should talk about them however much they deserve to be talked about but i'm sure yet again some quarterbacks will butt their way into the picture and we'll have to talk about them some more because that's what the 49ers do we have to talk about 49ers quarterbacks but hey i appreciate y'all you know this i say it every damn week and there will never be a week where i don't say it i appreciate y'all Thank you for listening to Striking Gold. Thank you for making this a successful podcast on the Blue Wire Network. It has way more to do with you guys than it does me and the co-hosts that we've had on the show. Make sure that you are, if if you feel so inclined, leave us a positive review on whatever avenue you listen to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Uh, Download it. Subscribe to it. All that great things. Do great things. And I will keep coming at you guys with the podcast um, as long as you appreciate it. As long as you're listening to them. But... For another week. Hopefully this episode does not end up hitting your airwaves at like a random time on a Sunday afternoon. Hopefully it's hitting you guys on a Friday morning. In that case, if that happens, happy Friday. If it doesn't, this is weird. But for another episode, for another week, I'm Rob. This is Striking Gold. And we're signing out. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.